Welcome to the Mark Driscoll Ministries podcast. To find more Bible teaching from Pastor Mark, visit markdriscoll.org. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. Well, today is Good Friday. For Christians, it is one of the most important days of the year, and it comes in a season that is remarkably timely. The entire planet is struggling with the same foe and battling the same destiny of death. Very rarely has there been a global event that has us all asking the exact same questions simultaneously. Questions like, why is the world so broken? Questions like, who could possibly fix this kind of problem? And as Christians, we find a lot of hope, curiously enough, on this Good Friday, the darkest of days. This is the day that precedes Easter Sunday in the Christian calendar. It was on Friday that Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins that was anticipating his resurrection victory coming up the following Sunday. Now just think of it for a moment. Think of it from God's perspective. God made the world perfect. When God was done, he said everyone and everything was very good. There was no sickness, there was no sin, and there was no suffering. When God's work was completed, everything was perfect and everyone was happy. And then we, humanity, chose to sin, to rebel, to defy God. The result is that we literally unleashed hell on earth through Satan, demons, and all that is opposed to God. Now, God in that moment had this extraordinary choice. That would be that he would either remove himself from it and just leave us in our fallen, broken, dying, destitute world, or he would enter into it with us. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Our great God and Savior looked at the mess that we made and rather than removing himself from it, he entered into it. Just imagine right now, if you had an opportunity to leave this world, to go into a perfect place, to have no suffering, no sickness, no sin, no death, no devastation, no destruction, all of your needs met, joy forever, you wouldn't wanna be here. Our God was there and he came here because he loves you. And so what I wanna talk about is the suffering of Jesus Christ. I know that right now we are all suffering in a multitude of ways. Some of you, this suffering that you're experiencing right now is very intense. And let me say that Jesus is the God who relates to you, that Jesus is the God who comforts you, that Jesus is the God who sympathizes with you. At the end of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, Jesus is promised to come as the suffering servant. And one of the ways that he serves us is through his suffering. I'll give you some categories of Jesus' suffering. He suffered spiritually as Satan and demons were opposing him, as religious leaders were harassing him, and as ultimately Judas was betraying him. Make no mistake that though we have physical problems in the world, behind it all there is spiritual causation, and this is at least in part, demonic and satanic. Jesus endured and suffered spiritually. Number two, he suffered mentally with stress. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 14, verse 33, says that Jesus was greatly distressed. Some of you are experiencing that same kind of great distress. Your mind is flooded with bad news. There is fear and anxiety regarding the future. Jesus has been there and he'll be in it with you. In addition, there is emotional suffering. 
on the night that Jesus was heading to his death, as darkness fell, he began praying and crying out to God the Father. And as he was praying, he was so anxious that it says in the Bible that he was sweating like drops of blood. Medical experts have actually found this to be a condition that happens rarely to those people who are suffering the most intense stress and duress. Some of you know exactly what that emotional suffering feels like. In addition, that night, Jesus couldn't even sleep. He was up all night. And some of you, because of the season of suffering that you're in, you also have had your sleep taken from you. In addition, Jesus suffered financially. He had a very modest income in his ministry, and part of that was being taken, stolen from him, from Judas Iscariot, who was his bookkeeper and his betrayer. Some of you know exactly what that feels like. You barely had enough to make ends meet, and now it is gone, and it feels as if you have been robbed, and now you have financial suffering. In addition, Jesus had relational suffering. During his years of popularity, crowds, thousands, perhaps tens of thousands, would come out to cheer for him, to meet with him, and to enjoy him. And then once he was arrested, once his reputation was destroyed, everyone, literally everyone, abandoned him. And Jesus felt complete isolation. Perhaps no more experience of this has been widely shared simultaneously by the entire planet as we're feeling right now. Some of you can't be with the people you love or the people that you love cannot be with you. You are feeling isolated in your time of greatest need and hurt and so are they. And Jesus experienced that same isolation. He also then suffered physically. He had beatings, he was scourged. I'll explain all of that in a moment. But some of you are suffering physically either from this pandemic that we are fighting or some other form of suffering. All of Jesus' suffering culminates together in crucifixion, which is the worst possible suffering that anyone could endure. And so on Good Friday, what I wanna do is something unique. I wanna run at the darkness. I wanna run at the suffering. I wanna run at the problem. And I wanna see how Jesus handled being in the same kind of situation that you find yourself in to see if he is of any sympathy, comfort, empathy, and help to you. Jesus promised Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ knew the future. You and I don't know what the future holds, but Jesus did. And he told us that he would have this day, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday coming up in a few days. He says this in Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer and suffer many things, just as we spoke about, from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. Those are the religious leaders. For those of you that may not know the Lord Jesus, or maybe you've got church hurt, or maybe you've not been to church for a while because some religious people have hurt you, know that there is a massive difference between religious people and a relationship with the person Jesus Christ. It was religious people who ultimately betrayed and killed Jesus Christ. Our goal is not to convert you to a bunch of religious principles, but to a relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. It goes on to say, and he would be killed and on the third day raised. What he was talking about there is the suffering that Jesus experienced leading up to the cross, high on a hill, much like this, and then also his burial and his resurrection from death. We don't 
know a great deal of crucifixion because it happens very rarely in our day. The New Testament that is explaining Jesus' crucifixion is rather scarce in its details for this reason. They saw it all the time. For them, this was a regular public occurrence. This was state-sponsored terrorism. It was done regularly, openly, publicly, and shamefully. It was done in open public places, so they all knew exactly the horrors of this experience. But I've done a great deal of research, and I want to share it with you. Uh, first of all, it's very interesting that the cross became the symbol of Christianity, as one old hymn says rightly, it is an emblem of suffering and shame. It is believed with the early church father Tertullian that Christians adopted the cross as their logo, their symbol, their, their identity marker for that movement following Jesus. Then Christians started making the sign of the cross. They started posting crosses on their home, letting passers-by know that the children of God dwelt there. They started wearing crosses around their necklace, and to this day, it is the most famous symbol in the history of the world. In their day, it would have been, as the hymn suggests, an emblem of suffering and shame. Crucifixion was something that was quite common. There was an uprising, a Jewish revolt, perhaps when Jesus was a little boy against the overruling Roman Empire. And as a result, there was a mass crucifixion of God's people. Jesus as a little boy may have seen that and had some sense of what his future fate would be. Occasionally, there were mass crucifixions. The day that Spartacus fell in battle in the ancient world, they crucified 6,000 men along a 120-mile stretch of Roman highway. Just imagine for a moment that you're walking from one town to another or riding on the back of a beast, and there are 6,000 men crucified, screaming, crying, bleeding, dying, surrounded by family and friends who are weeping and mourning. This was common. This was common. And crucifixion started historically with the Persians around 800 BC. Uh, what they would do is they would take a, a large pole, they would sharpen the end, they would run it through a man to impale him, they would dig a big hole in the ground. Oftentimes they would put them at a high place so that everyone could see them to add to their shame. Similarly, where Jesus was crucified on the hill of Golgotha as open public spectacle and shame. They would run the man through with the, with the log to impale him, they would dig a hole in the ground, and then they would drop the the log into the ground and they would leave the man there to suffer. Sometimes later, the Roman government perfected crucifixion. They added the crossbar to it to extend the pain and also to increase the suffering. And so what they would do, they would crucify a man. And when they did so, he would often die through asphyxiation. As your body slouches on the cross, the oxygen leaves your lungs, you head in and out of consciousness. So what they would often do is break the man's legs so that he could not push himself up on the, on the feet that were nailed to the cross. This is why the Bible prophesied that none of his legs, none of his bones would be broken. And that was true of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And people who were crucified would hang for upwards of nine days, passing in and out of consciousness, dehydrated, incontinent, weeping, crying, bleeding, dying. There would be a pool of feces and sweat and blood and tears at the foot of their cross and surrounding it would be family and friends. And, and there is a debate on this historically, but many believe that the, the men who were crucified were crucified at eye level. 
So they were looking their loved ones in the eye as well as their enemies who were mocking and jeering and casting bets regarding their time of death. Occasionally a woman was crucified in the ancient world, but they would turn her around because they didn't want to see her face. The pain, the horror, the shame, the suffering of crucifixion is so intense and so great that a word was created to explain the depth of its pain. That word is excruciating, which literally means from the cross, from the cross. And so Jesus being crucified endured the worst possible fate. Why do I tell you this? Not to just make bad news come on top of additional bad news, not to discourage you, not to eradicate all hope, but to show the depth of God's love for you. If God is willing to endure all of this out of his love for you, then imagine what he is continually willing to endure to deliver you and to give you hope and joy in a future. When we talk about the love of God, we have to talk about the cross of Jesus. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is no greater love than this, that someone lay down their life for their friends. It is not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son as the propitiation for our sins. When we just run to the darkness of the death of Jesus, we see the fullness of the love of God. You cannot understand the love of God apart from the sacrifice of Jesus. We make sacrifices for the people that we love the most. I mean, right now, even in our world, there are first responders and doctors and there are nurses, some of whom are our friends and members of our church family. They are putting themselves in harm's way. They are putting their life on the line. Why? Out of love, out of love. Love is not just what we feel. It's not just what we say. It is mainly what we do. We know that Jesus loves us because of all that Jesus was willing to suffer and do for us. Well. Everyone would have seen Jesus' death as despicable, deplorable, and damnable. The ancient Jewish historian Josephus called crucifixion, quote, the most wretched of deaths. The ancient Roman Cicero would not allow or discouraged Roman citizens from even speaking of the cross because it was too barbarous and horrific. And in Deuteronomy 21 verses 22 and 23, it says that anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed by God. And that's how the Jewish people would have seen the death of Jesus. Well, ultimately, Jesus started shedding blood as night was falling and he was in a garden and he was struggling with the will that God had laid out for him. The Son of God was communicating with the Father God about the future that he would have to endure shortly. He was then betrayed by Judas Iscariot. He was falsely accused. He was arrested. His face was covered. He was beaten by a mob. And after a sleepless night, the Bible simply says that they had him scourged. Scourging in the ancient world was a horrific means of torture and punishment. They would have had a handle, there would have been straps of leather on the end. There would have been balls to tenderize the flesh, usually stone or metal. And then there would be hooks that would dig deeply into a man's flesh. And what they would do, they would tie a man up over a post and over a rock so that his back, his legs, his buttocks were exposed. On each side, an executioner would whip him, make sure that the hooks were driven deep into his flesh, and then literally take turns ripping the flesh off his body. History records outside of the Bible that occasionally a man's rib would come flying off of his body. 
Many men simply died from this. Isaiah prophesied it and said that he would be, quote, marred beyond human likeness. Jesus Christ was scourged. When the Bible says, by his stripes we are healed, what it means is this. Jesus' scourging ultimately guarantees your eternal healing. There is healing for all of God's children for all eternity. Because of his stripes, you will be healed. Friend, even if you die, you will live. Even if your body is decaying, it will be rising. This is the hope. This is the great hope of Jesus Christ. He took what we deserve and he gave us what we do not so that we can enjoy something that we have no right to, but because of his love, we have constant access to. This is the love of God in Jesus Christ. Furthermore, as we read the storyline of Jesus, it says that they took a crown of thorns and pressed it in his head, not only to mock him publicly as a king, but also to increase his suffering. He was then required to carry a heavy crossbar, maybe a hundred pounds of roughly hewn timber on his exposed and barren back after a sleepless night. The Bible says that he was so exhausted, though he was a strong, healthy man, that Jesus fell. And those medical experts who have done diagnostic on this tell us that this is the equivalent of a head-on car crash where your body is thrown into the steering wheel, no airbag deploys, you have a chest contusion, internal bleeding has begun, and without constant immediate medical attention, you are facing a very certain death very soon. That's what happened to Jesus. They then pulled out his beard to dishonor him. They spit on him to disrespect him and they cursed at him to disregard him. And then they took Jesus the carpenter who had driven many nails and they drove nails through the most sensitive nerve centers on the human body, probably the wrist, right at the base of the hands and into the heels and the feet. And then they lifted him up, they dropped him in a hole and then everyone was cheering and jeering. They were spitting on him, they were cursing, they were dishonoring him. Here's what you need to know. This is the God who made the world perfect. This is the God who watched us ruin the world that he made perfect. This is the God who got off of his throne, came down to become a man, to live life with us, to deliver us, to give us the greatest gift. And instead, we made him endure the worst death. And then what is astonishing is that the Bible records what is called the seven words. These are the seven final statements of Jesus from the cross. So in the midst of great evil, great suffering, great anxiety, great dishonor, what would Jesus' answer be? And for those of you who are suffering and in various degrees and in varying ways, everyone right now is suffering. This is how we can learn from the example of Jesus so that we can respond with the love of Jesus. Number one, the first thing that Jesus says is in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus Christ starts with forgiveness. You need to know that. Jesus Christ starts with forgiveness. That's what it's all about. That's what Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that's what the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus is all about. Not only did Jesus pray that his enemies would be forgiven, enemies like me, and you. He was then going to die to answer his own prayer to secure our forgiveness. Friend, you need to know this. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
God will forgive you. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed. God has pursued you. It doesn't matter how deep your rebellion has been. God's love for you is deeper still and he forgives. That's the good news. That's the good news we celebrate on Good Friday. Number two, we read in Luke 23, 43, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Crucified alongside of Jesus were two guilty thieves who deserved it. And one man was repentant. He recognized his sin. He realized that he needed Jesus to be his savior. And so he asked for forgiveness. And Jesus gave him this promise of hope. Today you will be with me in paradise. Friends, this is God's promise of hope to you. This man knew he was going to die. One of the things that has gripped the planet is we are now keenly aware of our mortality. We are just as mortal today as we were yesterday. We are just as mortal this year as we were last year. The difference is we now know it at a deeper level, so we fear it at a deeper level. But here's the good news. If you belong to Jesus and he has forgiven you, you get to go to paradise when you die paradise when you die. If you're a Christian, what that means is this is as close to hell as you will ever be. And all Jesus has on the other side for you is paradise awaiting. Number three, Jesus looks at his mother in John 19, 26 and 27. He says, dear woman, here is your son. And he looks at his best friend, John, and says, here is your mother. Imagine this. Jesus is probably crucified at eye level. Looking him in the eye is his mother, his mother. When she held her baby boy, counted 10 fingers and 10 toes, she could not have fathomed that they would be nailed to a cross. When she raised a boy who never sinned and she never had to discipline him, she could have never conceived that he would be executed as a criminal. And on the cross, Jesus loves and serves his mother because Jesus is a God of compassion. The New Testament records the emotions of Jesus. The number one most frequent emotion of Jesus compassion. Some 60 times the New Testament says Jesus had compassion. Though Jesus was suffering, he was compassionate about the suffering of his mother. So he appointed his best friend, John, to love his mother and to tend to her needs. You need to know that Jesus is still a God of compassion, that Jesus has compassion for you, that Jesus wants to send people to comfort you, and he wants to send you to comfort others with that ministry of comfort. Number four, Jesus also demonstrates resolve in John 19, 28. He says, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. All Jesus has done to this point is prayed for forgiveness, promised, paradised, and ministered to his mother. Loving, compassionate, gracious, extraordinary acts under unprecedented duress. What happens then is historically quite shocking. And it was something that I didn't know until we took a trip. And I've been to Greece and Israel and Turkey and the locations of Jesus and the New Testament. And what I learned was that the Roman soldiers who would be sent out into the field as part of their kit would take with them a sponge. And they would use that for their toilet paper in the field. They would get a branch. They would put the stick in the end of the sponge, they would sop the sponge in wine vinegar as a disinfectant or antiseptic, and then they would use it to scrub and cleanse themselves. As Jesus is talking about forgiveness and paradise and compassion, to shut him up, one of the soldiers took that sponge and shoved it in Jesus' mouth. It would literally be the equivalent of our day. An innocent man is 
in the electric chair facing his death. He's about ready to get his lethal injection. And what he says is, I forgive everybody. I, I wanna see you all in heaven and I have compassion. Is there anything I can do for you? And one of the guards goes into the restroom, grabs the toilet brush and shoves it in his mouth. That's what we did to God. The cross not only reveals the love of God, it re reveals as well the brokenness in this world and the evil that resides in the human heart. What we see at the cross is who God really is and who we really are without God. The story continues. Jesus then says in Matthew 27, 46, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is love. This is love. In this moment, God the Father turned his back on God the Son and the wrath of God was poured out on the Son of God so that the love of God could be poured out on you. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. Jesus in that moment took your place and put you in his place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be loved, saved, served, healed, blessed, adopted eternally forever. The worst thing for Jesus is the best thing for you. This is why we call Good Friday part of the good news. The question is, how could Good Friday possibly be Good Friday? And how could this possibly be part of the good news? It's good for you, it's good for me. It was bad for Jesus, but it's good for you and it's good for me. It's good news for us, which is why we love him. Then Jesus cried out in John 19:30, it is finished. This was his triumphant victory. Jesus finished his mission. He came to live, he came to serve, he came to suffer, he came to die. This was his great victory. For the Christian, there's a secret here that you need to see. The world sees death, God sees victory. The world sees darkness, God sees victory. The world sees evil winning, God sees victory. You need to know that. You need to believe that by faith until we see it by sight. And then lastly, in Luke 23, 46, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Their relationship was restored and reconciled because our God is a loving and relational God. And at that moment, Jesus died a spear was thrust under his rib cage, puncturing his heart sac, so that water and blood literally flowed from his side. Jesus died of a physical, spiritual, emotional, broken heart. He was then wrapped up in burial linens. He was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a follower of his. His body was without any medical attention. The seal was put over the entrance to the tomb. The Roman government secured it. A soldier stood on guard to defend it. And this was the darkest day in human history. The reason I tell you this is because we're in a dark day, but we're not in the darkest day. Literally on that day, the sky went dark. And people experienced two things that we're experiencing right now to a lesser degree. Number one, darkness. Number two, loss. Number one, darkness. Number two, loss. They were scared. They were withdrawn. Everyone went to their own home. They were trying to process alone. If they had family, they were with family. If they didn't have family, they were left to themselves. 
exactly what you are experiencing. Darkness, loneliness, confusion, fear, sadness, suffering. I'll see you on Sunday when we finish the story. For those of you who don't know, it gets better. The worst setback in all of human history led to the greatest comeback in all of eternity. The darkest night led to the brightest day. The most horrific death led to the most incredible life. Don't give up on Jesus. Don't think too little of Jesus. Don't neglect to consider Jesus. This is now a divine opportunity that Jesus has given you to do the same thing that he did. Who do you need to forgive and pray for? What hope do you need to have for your eternal life? What compassion do you need to give to those who are suffering? What resolve do you have to commit yourself to, to endure whatever faces you? What love can you pour out for others? What victory does God have planned for you? And how can this grow your relationship with God? The whole world right now is terrified of death. I'll see you on Sunday, and I'll tell you the rest of the story where you learn about Jesus, the one who defeated death and takes away the sting of death and takes away the fear of death because the worst thing is not to die. It's to die without knowing Jesus because he's the one who conquers death.